Where should you visit on a trip to Spain? And where should you visit if it's your first trip to Spain? And where should you visit if it's your first trip to Spain and you only have two weeks to discover and appreciate and scratch beneath the surface of this fantastic country? <laughs> Huge questions and questions that I get asked all the time by you guys who went in Spain listeners and indeed my followers on social media as well. Hell yeah, I want to sleep in a castle. And I would say for most travelers coming here, like to go back to their country and say, what did, you know, what did you do in Spain? Well, yeah, I saw some great art. I drank some great wine. I, I had great olive oil, great food, saw some beautiful towns, beautiful cities. Oh, and by the way, I slept in a castle. I mean, yeah. how cool is that? Well, that was the voice of Karen Rosenblum, who is joining me in this episode to help answer these enormous questions for any of you guys out there who are planning a trip to Spain. You're listening to the When in Spain podcast. Thank you for joining me wherever you are around the world. I'm your host, Paul Birch. And if you're new to the podcast, you've just discovered us. An especially big warm welcome to you guys. This show aims to bring you a little slice or corner of Spain and Spanish culture right into your ears, uh, covering a huge range of topics, really, from travel to practical advice on living and working and visiting language, food and drink, uh, and a, a huge range of fantastic guests that we've had on the show over the last couple of years. And I must say that Karen Rosenblum is one of them. Karen runs her own Spain travel consultancy called Spain Less Travelled. So she puts together bespoke itineraries and consults on where people should visit, gives great recommendations, and she even puts together incredibly detailed itineraries as well. She offers all levels of support and advice for people planning a trip to Spain. She used to live in Madrid. That's where we met. She now lives down in sunny Malaga. And, uh, well, she's going to be joining us to share her recommendations, her advice, on planning a trip to Spain and really how we've decided to break it down is by interests. I know in her When in Spain Facebook community which is incredibly active and a fantastic resource and I must recommend it to anyone planning a trip to Spain. On her Facebook community called Travel Spain exclamation mark I know she gets this question a lot from people planning a trip to Spain. Where should I visit? How long do I need? Is two days enough in Madrid? Is one day enough in Córdoba, etc. And that's what we're basically going to talk about in this episode. We're going to break down our suggestions and recommendations by themes. So, for example, where should you visit on a trip to Spain if you love gastronomy? Where should you visit if you like outdoors, nature, peace and quiet, tranquility? Where should you visit if you love art and museums? Where should you go if you're a beach bum and you love just chilling out on the beach for a couple of weeks? Where should you visit if you're interested in the Moorish history of Spain? Where should you visit if you want to see ancient Roman ruins? All of these kinds of questions we're going to be covering in this episode. And stay tuned right to the very end because Karen is going to give us some really useful advice on itineraries. You know, how you should tackle Spain depending on how much time you, you have. And also giving us, you know, some advice on managing our expectations 
and staying realistic about visiting Spain and not trying to tick off too many places and feel tired and burnt out at the end of your trip. So uh, stay tuned to the end for that. It's some really useful advice from Karen. Just before we jump into the episode, I'd just like to say a very quick big thank you and shout out to two brand new When in Spain patrons. So a big gracias to Leanne McCabe and a big gracias also to Andrew Tornquist. For anyone else who's discovered this podcast and enjoys it and would like to show a little bit of support, you can become a patron of the podcast quite simply by heading across to patreon.com forward slash when in Spain. Okay, so let's try and tackle these huge questions of where to visit in Spain with Karen Rosenblum. Vamos a por ello. Karen, it's an absolute pleasure to to have you on the podcast again. I think you're a record breaker because I think you're the only guest I've had that's been on the podcast three times. Wow, what an honor. I love your podcast. Yeah, because we recorded a couple of episodes uh, back a year ago and about two years ago, didn't we? We had some fun, I think, uh, walking our favorite streets of Madrid. <laughs> oh, pre-COVID. That was great. <laughs> Pre-COVID days. And then in the midst of the first lockdown, we recorded... Uh, an episode together virtually uh, uh, covering the uh, Cordoba Patio um, Festival, which was shame not to be there for the real thing, but it was quite a lot of fun doing a virtual version, right? It was, it was. And to be honest, this past year I went because they held it again, finally. And right be- like I, on the train up there, I listened to the podcast. I was like, ooh, I'm going to get myself excited and reacquainted. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, so to listeners who may be new to this or, or haven't listened to those episodes, do go and check back and listen to Karen and myself. Uh, firstly, walk in our favorite streets of Madrid. We talk about lots of history and weird and wonderful facts about uh, streets in Madrid and then the uh, the patios uh, festival in Cordoba and we also talk uh, well Karen talks a lot about the history of Cordoba as well and and what that festival is all about so they were great episodes um, very great fun to record with you however uh, I guess this time we're, we're going to go a bit more general right we're going to answer a kind of burning well, burning questions <laughs> I think both of us receive, especially you, because you run your own uh, travel consultancy, uh, Spain Less Travelled. And we get these questions from from people who want to come to Spain. Like, where should I go in Spain? Where should I visit? <laughs> or I've got a week and I want to kind of get a good feel for Spain. Where should I go? This is the kind of huge question that we're going to try and answer. But we've decided to kind of break it down by interests or themes or kind of maybe what you know what kind of uh you know what kind of person you are if you're coming to spain and what you like rather than just this huge blanket catch-all question uh you know where should i go so that's what we're going to do right we're going to talk through um some different themes based on interests to help guide people to select a part of spain that might interest them because you know spain's a very diverse and big country right (laughs) absolutely And it's funny that you mentioned that because when people say, well, where in Spain should I go? My first question to them is, what are your interests? What do you want to see and do while you're here? What types of things do you want to experience? Because that's going to help me guide them toward the correct answer when either doing a a Spain travel consult, which I do, or writing an itinerary for a client. 
you know, I need to know, like, what are your interests? Because as you just mentioned, Spain's a big and diverse country. Every region is different. Every region has its own identity. So like, where in Spain should I go? My, there's not a one size fits all answer for that. There's not a blanket answer. My answer might be very different from your answer, but it depends what you want to do. And that's what we're going to get into. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, you know, if you flip it around, um, and I know a lot of uh, uh, the, of your clients and a lot of majority of my listeners are our friends uh, in the United States. And even though Spain is, you know, a fraction of the size of, of the US, I don't know, it's about the size of Texas, right? Something like that. Yes, <laughs> the size smaller. of Texas. <laughs> it would be like me saying, I've never been to the US before. Where should I go in the US? And even though the US is basically a continent, much bigger, but it's kind of the same. And, 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 and an American would be like flipping out going, oh, God, I, I, what a huge question. Where should you go in the US? But it's kind of the same with Spain, right? Because I think people maybe think, well, it's a small country. It's probably more or less all the same. Which it's is totally the not same. the case, even though it, you know all European countries are small by comparison, but still a lot condensed into <laughs> one country, it's, right? It's a lot into a small package, you know, small, not really the size of Texas, because there's so much here and there's so many places in between the places. And, yeah. you know, you're not going to see it all in two weeks. Most Americans, unfortunately, get 14 days of vacation a year, and that includes flying over here you're not going to see the whole country. So don't try. But it's really important to figure out what you're interested in. And then from there, you can start to plan your trip and structure it. And you know, I can always help people put together something logistically possible as well. That kind of combines not seeing too much, not trying to cram it all in, but also getting a really nice overview based on their interests. So yeah, you know, what what we're going to talk about and why we're going to break it down is so people can figure out you know, what are you interested in? Then kind of start thinking about where to come in Spain. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's super important, especially if you're coming, you know, from uh, a long way away. It's okay for us if we're in Europe and you can maybe visit Spain, you know, every year or every couple of years. But if this is, you know, almost a once in a lifetime or you're not going to be able to come again for, you know, four or five years even or whatever, you know, you're going to, I can, I completely understand why people are keen to try and see as much as possible, but sometimes that's not necessarily the best way to go about it. So we, at the end of the episode, a bit later, we're going to look at itineraries in a bit more detail and we're going to get your take on on itineraries for maybe, I don't know, a one week trip, uh, a two week or a 10 days or something like that um, to help to help our, our, our listeners. Um, yes. I wanted to kick it off with, I think we both wanted to kick it off with the age old question <laughs> uh, that we kind of <laughs> it's a bit strong, but is kind of like, oh, yes, this 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 question again. Um, you know, obviously, people on a on a first visit to Spain or maybe even a subsequent visit want to explore two of the biggest cities. One being where I'm talking to you from, uh, Madrid, the capital, and one that I would probably say maybe gets a lot more attention than Madrid is Barcelona, up on in Catalonia, uh, on the coast. Um, and you get this question, you know, uh, are, you know, what are the differences between them? Are they similar? If I had to choose to go and spend a, I don't know, a long weekend in Barcelona and Madrid, which should I choose and why? Where do we even begin with this, Karen? Because it's, it's a difficult. Well, the good news is very for, <laughs> for most people flying from outside of Europe, you're probably going to land in either Madrid or Barcelona. That's where the cheapest airfare is going to be. So you can start to figure out, you know, which one appeals to you more. Um, we all have our biases, I will say. In terms of differences, I think that you would agree with me, Paul, the two cities cannot be any more different. They, they, they're they not, 
I mean, they're they're in the same country by name, but that's about it. They might as well be on separate planets, to be honest. Um, yeah. There's very few similarities between Madrid and Barcelona, maybe other than they're both fairly walkable. But other than that, you know, <laughs> yeah. the two cities cannot be more different. Barcelona, of course, you're going to hear Catalan on the streets. People are going to speak Catalan. It gets it attracts much more tourists, for better or worse, than Madrid. You have the huge monuments. You have Sagrada Familia, which is kind of on par with the monuments like the Eiffel Tower, like world-class monuments. Whereas Madrid has the art museums, the palace, but I would really say the beauty of Madrid is in exploring the neighborhood. So as I think you would agree with me with that too, Paul. But it, yeah. again, it really comes down to what you want to see and do. Um, you know, we'll talk about itineraries later, but a great itinerary for about a week is, you know, a few days in each of them, and then you can get a really good overview and decide for your next trip where, where you want to revisit maybe, because, it, you know, as we said, they can't be any more different, but very general overview. And I actually did just do a blog post about this, about the three most popular destinations in Spain. So obviously Madrid and Barcelona are included. Um, if you want to see, you know, world-class architecture, especially the more modern stuff, Barcelona. If you want to come to Spain and see the heart and soul of Spain and practice your Spanish and feel very immersed and like walk down the street and say, I'm in Spain, Madrid. If you're an art lover, both of them have great art and museums, but I would probably go with Madrid for that one. You have the Prado, you have Reina Sofia, you have the Thyssen, then you have smaller museums like the Saroya. Barcelona has some wonderful museums too, like the um, Catalan Museum of Art is a really good one. But I think that Madrid is just kind of takes the prize for world class. I totally agree with you there. I think if you're into art and museums are your thing, then it really has to be Madrid. They're what they call, as you mentioned, those museums, the Golden Triangle. Uh, Reina Sofia, the Prado and the uh, Tizen. I mean, yeah, they, they are must sees, you know, out of uh, out of art, uh, museums in Europe, let alone just in Spain um, or in, in fact the world. The world. Um, I would totally agree with you, of course, they are world class museums, but that's not to say that there aren't little uh, there are, you know, gems to be found in Barcelona also as well. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, I think Madrid does, does take the prize on that. Um, yeah, I, I've always found talking to people, whether they're from outside of Spain and they've come here to live and they live in either Madrid or Barcelona or whether they're Spanish, um, that people just seem to fall into these two categories. I've never met anyone who says, oh, I like them both equally or they're kind of, oh. uh, you know, I, I, I could live in both. People tend to gravitate towards one or the other. I find you're either a kind of Barcelona kind of person or a Madrid kind of person in my experience. Um, <laughs> I think we were say like we're, we're kind of slightly biased because you used to live in Madrid and I still live in Madrid. Um, uh, yeah, uh, they're really hard to compare. I would agree with you that for me, Madrid feels, um, it has the feeling that it was once upon a time for a big city, a bit more of a backwater, more overlooked. And maybe it's changing now gradually, but compared to Barcelona, it certainly feels less touristy. Um, there aren't maybe the kind of hit list of big monuments that you must tick off that you maybe might find in other big European cities or possibly in Barcelona. Um, and like you said, I think its charm is the the atmosphere on the streets that you get in those different uh, diverse neighbourhoods, even in the centre of the city, right? It's about, for me, and I've said this a million times before, the charm of Madrid 
is just walking and exploring and soaking up the atmosphere in those different neighborhoods in the bars and cafes, restaurants, the terrazas and being in the street. Whereas I suppose with Barcelona, you have it. Maybe I would say that Barcelona is more striking uh, physically because, you know, you've got it's a beach city. You've got the port. You, you've got the kind of hills and mountains behind and the Montserrat. Um, you know, I always sort of find that maybe Barcelona feels a bit more polished, a bit kind of, I don't know, posher. Maybe because it's been kind of uh, designed for tourism more, whereas Madrid is a kind of more workaday capital city. It still has its grand sites uh, and beautiful uh, locations. But I think maybe it's, I always found for me, having visited both places that um, um, I think I found Barcelona more striking, more like, wow, what a, an amazing city. You know, it's impressive with this Gaudi architecture and the Sagrada Familia and the and the beach and all of these pretty squares with their palm trees and this kind of thing. And, and actually, you know, Barcelona's got a real medieval quarter as well, whereas Madrid doesn't really have a really ancient old uh, center like Barcelona does. Um, so I think that kind of struck me. But for Madrid, it kind of, you fall in love with it kind of slowly, really. It has that charm more for the fact that it's maybe deep, very deeply Spanish. And it's that kind of, and I know we were going to talk about this, this whole melting pot of Spain. You've got people from all corners of Spain who've emigrated here. You can find food from all corners of Spain here and cultures from all corners of Spain um, here in Madrid. Yeah, <laughs> difficult <Absolutely>. one. <laughs> That's what I always tell clients who cannot come to all of Spain. Look, go to Madrid. You can try Basque food. You can try Cantabrian food. You can try Murciano food, which is an up-and-coming food region. You can try Asturian food. You can try Galician food, food from all over Andalusian food. You have it all over Madrid because you're right. A lot of It's a lot of um, domestic immigration into Madrid. So you can meet people from all over Spain and kind of have that feel, whereas Barcelona is maybe a little bit more international, a little more cosmopolitan. It definitely has the big monument. Sagrada Familia is a big one, obviously, probably the big one. Um, it has a proper medieval quarter, where, as you mentioned, Madrid doesn't. Madrid has a beautiful, charming historic center, but the Gothic quarter, it is not. I mean, I my personal bias, which I always feel like or my personal opinion, I should say, which I always feel like I, I probably shouldn't share because, you know, I'm a travel consultant, I'm a travel planner, I'm supposed to be kind of um, unbiased, but unbiased. I prefer Madrid, I'm not gonna lie. For me, I lived in Madrid, it feels like home. I love the Spanishness. I love how authentic it is and how vibrant it is. And how, as you just mentioned, it's a real working city. Whereas Barcelona definitely does a really great job marketing itself, so it, has kind of that big name and pack. In fact, I feel like a lot of people think that Barcelona is the biggest city in Spain. In fact, I the other day I had to correct a comment in my Travel Spain group because I try to keep things really accurate there and said, no, actually, Barcelona is not Spain's, lar Spain's largest city. That's Madrid. Um, yeah. But, you know, with clients, I want to steer them in the direction that I think that is going to resonate with them more. And I have lots of clients who absolutely love Barcelona. So I'll give them five days in Barcelona and just a few days in Madrid, because again, it really comes down to personal preference, but the burning question for people who really want to know <laughs> my opinion on it, I'm team Madrid. And I think you yeah. are too. Absolutely. Team Madrid here. Um, interested to see what listeners uh, think. Um, uh, uh, yeah. I'd love for listeners to get in touch and, 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 
let us know what they love about each city. And and the other thing is, like you've said, uh, Karen, is that um, you know that they're kind of doable on one trip, very doable. You know, if you're here for, you know, a week or even five or six days, you could spend, you know, a couple of days in each. You've got the Ave train, high-speed train between the two cities, super well-connected, um, easy yeah. to make that direct comparison on one trip. Definitely. And now the low, the high-speed, low-cost train, the Avlo and Wego connect the two. Yeah, I mean, like, I know we're going to talk about itineraries later, so I feel like I'm jumping the gun here, but... I feel that a really great intro to Spain itinerary for if you have a week, do a few days in Madrid and a few days in Barcelona, decide which one works better for you, which one you like better, and then plan your second trip to Spain, flying into one, the one that you prefer, and then exploring other regions. I think that that's a great intro to Spain because they're, they're, they are Spain's two largest cities, no doubt. And I know a lot of people like to get into smaller cities and smaller towns and off the beaten path. But, you know, that adds travel time. And when you just don't have it, you don't have it. And I really do think that Madrid and Barcelona are a great overview of the country. They give you two very different regions. You have, you know, Madrid, capital, and you have Barcelona, which is in Catalonia, which, you know, some people in Barcelona say that they're not even in Spain. We won't get into that. That's too political. But um, <laughs> it is the truth. <laughs> Let's look at, you know, uh, choosing different parts of Spain based on some different interests. I'm actually, you know, on my list, I've got art and museums. We have kind of just touched on that, right? I mean, I was, I'm going to say really Madrid is a, is, is a kind of first stop destination for, for those museums that we just mentioned, right? Absolutely. But the cool thing about Spain and some of the smaller Spanish cities and regional capitals is, you know, they all have a municipal museum, which are usually either very inexpensive or free entry, where they have local art and local history. And then you see random art museums all over Spain. Like, for example, Cuenca has an art museum. Merida has an art museum. Cáceres has an art museum. Like, all of these little regional capitals yeah. all over Spain have these, have wonderful, wonderful art scenes. But another one that I want to add, and, you know, Madrid is, is, is where... I landed when I first lived in Spain, lived in Spain, but I want to talk about the city that I moved to, which is Malaga. And Malaga has an amazing art scene. Um, it actually has the most, after Madrid, more museums per capita than anywhere in Spain. Does most it really? I didn't museums. know that. Yeah. Wow. Yes. I mean, we have, okay, of, of course we have the Picasso Museum. Pica Pablo Picasso was born here in Malaga. Um, we have a we have a branch of the Pompidou Center, which is the French Modern Art Museum. Ours is really cool. It's in this like big glass cube right by the port, and you go downstairs, and it's all this like modern and semi modern art, mostly Spanish. My personal favorite museum here in Malaga is the Carmen Thyssen. I absolutely love it because it has a great collection of Spanish landscape paintings. So think like you know the the famous landscape painters like Monet but Spanish, so Spanish landscapes. Mm. It also has a wonderful collection of Andalus art. So there's a lot of paintings of like patios and feria, and I just love it. I love the Carmen Thyssen, and they always have great exhibitions. It's such a gem of a museum. Here in Malaga too, we have a random Russian museum. I'm not even joking. Like it has <laughs> it's a big collection of Russian art, which is actually not in the center. It's in the Tabacalera, which is the old tobacco factory here in Malaga, any, or any Spanish city, but Malaga has one too. 
and it's a Russian art museum and it's super cool. So, I mean, that's just kind of scratching the surface, but yeah. if you like art, come to Malaga too. We have a modern art museum. We have a, like a modern art photography museum. It's a wonderful, wonderful art capital. And I think it kind of gets overlooked because it has that reputation of being the port and airport for Costa del Sol. <clears throat> but Malaga cannot be any more different than the rest of the coast. It's a real Spanish city. It has a lot of history, obviously a lot of museums that we touched upon. Mm. So if you're into art and art history and museums, I would say add Malaga to your itinerary. Ooh, I'm, glad, I'm so glad you said that because it kind of still frustrates me when I hear people thinking of Malaga as just a kind of, you know, a transit, you know, arrive at the airport to get a bus or train on to somewhere some resort along the Costa del Sol I mean Malaga as <laughs> a city in its own right is absolutely fantastic it, it really is a beautiful uh, authentic Spanish city with something for everyone right and it's a big city I mean yeah you know some, I mean I'm from cities I've lived in cities all my life I made the move from Madrid to Malaga during the pandemic because I just wanted more space I'm from California so I need the sea and you know slightly warmer weather but um, it it's not as big as Madrid and it will never feel as big as Madrid, but it is a city and it's a city in its own right. And I'm so glad that you just mentioned too, Paul, that it's a very Spanish city. It is not a resort city on the Costa del Sol. Malaga is a city that has a very rich history. Obviously it's in Andalusia, so it has the Andalus history, you know, the Moors, the Christians and the Jews. And um, the Romans were here as well. We have a Roman amphitheater. It's actually free to go visit, which is super cool, right at the base of the Alcazaba. But yeah, it's a very, very Spanish city. And in the neighborhood that I live in, I don't live in the center. I'm probably the only English speaker in my barrio. So it's it's a very special place. But absolutely, if you like art, if you like museums, it's a destination. Um, I guess we should mention one of the most sort of famous um, art museums in Spain, which I, a lot of people will at least recognize from the curious architectural style, the uh, Guggenheim in Bilbao. Mm, yes, one of my favorite museums. Um, and, it, you know, Bilbao is one of those cities that, and I know we're going to touch on gastronomy next, so I think we're going to talk a lot about this region <laughs> in a moment. Yeah. But Bilbao is one of those cities that people either fly into or take the train or bus into and just skip to get further down the coast. Let me tell you, Bilbao has the Guggenheim and the Guggenheim is amazing. But because of the Guggenheim, Bilbao has become like this like renaissance transformational city. I was just back up there in October and I was blown away by how much I love Bilbao. Like, I, I I don't even remember loving it this much. But, you know, the, you have the Guggenheim. But because of the Guggenheim, you have this amazing, like, hip art scene. And obviously, it's in a, it's in a region where the food is amazing. But, yeah, I mean, the Guggenheim is a world-class museum. And it's something that, that needs to be seen if you're an art lover, especially a modern art lover. It, you know, Bilbao now has something to market itself and to attract people. And if you're a modern art lover, the Guggenheim is is a must must do on your Spain travel itinerary. Okay, let's move on then to my <laughs> one of my favourite uh, topics. I always try to get into the podcast episodes, whatever we're talking about, food, gastronomy. Yes. I mean, again, Spain is such a you know regional 
country and and foods vary uh you know you have your constants wherever you go in spain you're going to be able to find but you know there's a quite a big uh, regional variation of uh, gastronomy in spain as well but i guess there are a couple of corners of spain which are maybe most notable for their excellent cuisine um and i'm thinking the north right i'm thinking mm-hmm. maybe the basque country possibly galicia um i don't know what where would you say I mean, absolutely, Basque country is going to be, if you're a foodie, you have to go to Basque country. It might be cliche, but it's absolutely the truth. There's more Michelin star restaurants per capita than anywhere. Um, You have just a wonderful tradition of food. You know, the pinchos are something that other regions advertise pinchos, but it's nothing like Basque country. Um, (laughs) You have a great wine and sidra, cider industry as well. And I mean, it's really a mecca for food lovers. I would say that all of Basque country kind of fits the bill for that. But obviously, San Sebastian is like, you know, if if you're a foodie and you're really wanting to try like the best of the best, not only in Spain, but possibly the world, I would say San Sebastian, it needs to be on the list. And then take you some time, explore more of Basque country. I also agree agree with you, Paul, too, that um, the North in general, Galicia, has a wonderful food tradition, food and wine, we can just say. Asturias as well. Asturias is different from the rest of the country because the food in Asturias is actually really hearty and really filling and really different. Um, Cantabria, which is kind of maybe the most part of the, the most forgotten part of the North, also has a wonderful food tradition with the canned fish and the seafood. Um, so obviously the North, if you're a food lover, yes. Now, if you're a food lover who wants to get like a little bit more off the beaten path and go to an up and coming food region and maybe impress all of your foodie friends back at home, <laughs> I'm going to sell Morcia for just a moment here. Um, okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Morcia, it, it's one of the up and coming gastronomic capitals in Spain. It's um, every year at Fitor, which is the large travel and train show here in Spain. Murcia always does something with their food and their regional cuisine. It was actually named one of the, the Spain's top cuisine corners in, in all of Spain. Unfortunately, that was in 2020. So we all know that everywhere named anything in 2020 kind of got the short end of the stick. But Murcia is, they have an amazing culinary tradition. You have seafood from the coast. You have all the fresh produce from the from where they grow. I mean, so much is grown in Morcia. Um, you have all these up and coming chefs in Morcia City opening up restaurants. So if you really want to like impress all of your friends back at home and kind of throw them for a loop and go somewhere that I would say half of you know people outside of Spain and even Spaniards don't take time to explore this region, Morcia is wonderful. <laughs> I'm quite surprised to hear that. I and mean, that's, that's fantastic to know that there's a burgeoning uh, food and restaurant scene in Murcia. You've just, uh, in fact, been to the uh, to Fito. Describe what it is. It's, it happens every year in Madrid, right? So it's basically a travel industry trade show, and it's one of the biggest in the world. So you have, you know, countries coming and represent, sending their tourism boards and tourism professionals. But the reason that I go is because there's three full rooms and we're not talking little rooms. This is at a convention center. So like three pavilions dedicated all to Spain. So I go every year and I get information to perfect itineraries, not information necessarily about destinations, because I think I have that covered, but information to kind of put the pieces together, like private drivers, little hotels, things like that. Um, 
local tour guide so that I can really mm-hmm. give my clients an authentic and local experience, especially in regions that are a little bit more off the beaten path. So it's a wonderful, wonderful trade show. I love it. Um, the first three days are open to travel professionals only. So you need to have a company and, a, and, a, and you know, travel credentials. But over the weekend, it's open to visitors as well. So it's it's a lot of fun every year. And I love it. And I mean, Morcia does a great job, has for the past three years, honestly, has done a great job just um, representing their gastronomy scene. And I hope that it puts them on the map. on my list here eccentric architecture i think you could probably guess where i was going with that right Uh, (laughs) i i yes i can (laughs) even though i feel like there's so many places that have that what's the first place that springs to your mind let's just you know let's just put it out there because i think it's on everyone's mind yes barcelona you you have the modernista you have sagrada familia you have lots of other modernista works by less famous architects yeah. Like in the Champlain neighborhood, you're just walking down the street and it's just like apartment buildings of this beautiful modernista architecture. Yeah. So let's just get that out of the way and say, yeah, Barcelona <laughs> for eccentric architecture. Yeah. But the cool thing about Spain is there are so many places that have like this beautiful, random eccentric architecture. I want to talk about a place that most Spaniards don't even know it, or like to like to think that it doesn't exist. And that's Tedriel. And the reason that I'm mentioning this is because you have Modernista there. You have Neo Mudejar. You have Mudejar. It's like this like random little regional capital, like kind of sandwiched in. It's in Aragon, so kind of like in between Madrid and the East Coast. And you know, you're just walking down the street and you're like, whoa, that's a random Modernista building, or wow, that's a beautiful Mudejar tower. Um, I love it. I love Tedriel for that reason. I think it's so eccentric and so cool. And, you know, it it has that mix. So like, yeah, obviously Barcelona is going to be the big one, but there's a lot of smaller Spanish cities where you're going to see an eclectic mix of architecture. So yeah, yeah for Tedriel, I would say if you want to get off the beaten path in Spain, most Spaniards are going to tell you it doesn't even exist. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. I've never been to Teruel. Um, it's on my list uh, to tick off, actually. Uh, my I'll do it. <laughs> provinces. Do it. I didn't realize. Okay, that's a that's a really good recommendation. Um, you know, I was just going to say, yeah, you know, the usual sites, you know, in Barcelona. I guess the uh, Arts and Sciences Park in Valencia is pretty oh, wacky uh, for modern architecture. Um, quite striking, very different to the rest of the city. But I think it's kind of, it's not particularly off the beaten track, I would say, really. Most people, if they know Valencia, wouldn't know of it. Um, yeah, I, I can't think of anywhere else I've been in Madrid. I wouldn't say there is really much like that. There are a couple of small examples of modernist <laughs> architecture um, in the city. But, but literally, you know, you could count on one hand, not even you know, a couple that I can think of really that are very unusual. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, another, I mean, we could talk for days about architecture around Spain because so many cities have these like beautiful, eclectic mixes of architecture. Obviously, you know, you have Andalusia, which we'll save for other subjects because I know we're going to go down south. But um, uh, Santander, for example, in Cantabria, the new um, the new um, Botin Center is this beautiful modern building right on the water. And Santander is an interesting one, too, because unlike most other Spanish cities, it doesn't really have that many super historical buildings, 
because there was a big fire that destroyed everything in the 40s and they had to rebuild. What they did was they rebuilt like kind of on a stately grandeur scale, but it's not like that quaint little Centro Historico that, you know, just about other every other Spanish city has. It's a question that I get a lot. Quick comparison of beach cities, you know, <laughs> so we've got all the big names. Like if you want a city vibe, but you want the beach as well, you want a sort of bit of both. Where would you suggest? Malaga is a wonderful beach destination, though I will say this. I would say that the beaches, the urban beaches in Malaga aren't the greatest urban beaches in all of Spain. Um, but the nice thing about Malaga is you do you do have the beach right here, whereas in Valencia, it's not necessarily in the city center. You need to you need to you need to um, walk, I guess, for a while, or take a taxi mm. or take public transportation to get yeah. to the beach. Whereas in Malaga, it is right close to the city center. But I would say that this is also a really seasonal question. Um, obviously, the north, some of the cities in the north, like um, Gijon and Santander and San Sebastian have wonderful urban beaches, but you can't really swim at them for like 11.5 months out of the year because it's too cold. <laughs> One of my favorites is Cadiz here in the south in Andalusia. Yeah. Um, Playa de la Concha is a beautiful urban beach in Cadiz. And mm-hmm. um, Cadiz is really interesting and unique because it's super historical. It's actually the oldest city in Spain and in Europe, I believe. And um, and, yeah. and it's kind of like set on a on a long, narrow, it's hard to explain, but it's almost like an octagon shape. So you can see the sunrise and sunset and the urban beaches there are quite nice. And then just up the coast, from, or up and down the coast from Cadiz is the Costa de la Luz, so the coast of the light. And what I really like about the beaches on the Costa de la Luz is it's the Atlantic side of Spain, but in the south. And these are like long, sandy beaches. And they don't see the mass tourism that, you know, some of the beaches on like Costa del Sol or Costa Blanca or Costa Brava get. So I really like Cadiz as a beach destination. Yeah, uh, me too. I mean, Cadiz as a city is way up there on top of my, high up on my list for me. It's absolutely beautiful, super ancient, rundown charm to it in some aspects, I would say. I mean, it's one of the poorest cities in Spain, I think, but it's stunning. And right on the doorstep, yeah, all of those beaches of Costa de la Luz. Yes. We did a trip along there a couple of years ago. And those beaches are very wild, almost untouched. And you're right, you're not going to get the same level of tourism that you're going to get on the Costa del Sol or the Costa Blanca or the Costa Brava. It's um, more wild and and rugged and absolutely beautiful um more windy i suppose you have to be careful with the wind there yes. sometimes if the uh, levante wind is blowing you uh, do in fact but, Tarifa, right on the tip is the kite um, where you can you can see morocco on a, it doesn't even have to be the clearest of days because it's literally right there it's um it, it's like the windy one of the windiest spots in the world and it attracts kite surfers so yeah yeah and you know it's funny you're talking about wild beaches i mean should we go over to Almeria for a moment and talk yes. about Cabo de Gata? Let's go to Cabo de Gata because I was there uh, this sub- last summer. And wow. <laughs> yes. Wow is, is, is a great word to describe it. Um, if you want kind of the tranquil Mediterranean, so not the windy Atlantic, but you don't want the mass tourism and you kind of want the wilder beaches that many of them you have to hike into. You, you can't just park and go to the beach. I recommend going to Cabo de Gata in Almeria province. Um, Almeria city itself is a great city. They have some nice urban beaches as well. But if you go up a little bit toward Cabo de Gata, 
it's more like the undeveloped Mediterranean. And luckily, it's um, it's a natural park, so it cannot be developed, which is great news. And I mean, you just have like this beautiful, wild Mediterranean beaches, and they're all different. All of the beaches there are incredibly different. So yeah, I really, I, it's one of my favorite destinations in Spain, but you definitely want to wear good hiking shoes because for most of the beaches, you can't just like roll right up and park. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're definitely going to need a car to explore those beaches. Yeah. And uh, you're... Um... Yeah, you do have to hike down to many of them. It's just an incredibly dramatic landscape as well. You know, the backdrop to those beaches is very sort of barren and uh, desert-like, isn't it? Because you've got the Tabernas Desert there as well. It, for me, it kind of re it's reminiscent of, well, I don't know, you'd know better than me, but kind of like, I don't know, Arizona or New Mexico. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. In fact, my 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 dear friend in um, in Palm Springs in California, which is in the desert, when I was in Tabernas and taking photos, he's like unimpressed. I live in the desert. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, but it is super rugged, and and those beaches are wonderful. With some beautiful yeah. beaches along there, you know. And the nice thing about them is that there's nothing really there. There there are no bars and shops and restaurants and all of the okay, no real facilities. But I think that's part of their charm. I just it's definitely part of the charm. And I mean, you're not going to go hungry. Like there's, you know, little places that you can eat, but it's not like, you know, the pictures of like, you know, Benny Dorm, for example, it's like the opposite <laughs> of that. Yes, <laughs> absolutely nothing. Queen nothing Hirola, like you know, all of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to say, um, I mean, I've heard really uh, that uh, you mentioned it before that um, San Sebastian has a really beautiful beach there on the bay. Um, but again, like you said, it's kind of for swimming, maybe a bit cold, almost nearly all of the year. Right, if to have pretty thick skin to go swimming in uh, in San Sebastian. But I've seen, I've never been, but I've just heard really good things about the city beach there and just how beautiful it is geographically. Yes, actually, when I was there in October of this year, um, and I mean, I've traveled all over Spain and all over the world. I have to say that I literally saw the most beautiful sunset I have ever seen in my entire life. So. Really? Yes, and yeah. randomly too. Playa de la Concha in, in San Sebastian. It was amazing. I took photos, but they didn't capture it. No, their photos never do it justice, do they? I mean, I, a couple of things, that I, places I'm going to mention that I've been to that I'm going to say, um, I mean, just going back to Valencia. I mean, I love Valencia as a city. Um, I was going to say the beach there. I agree with you. It's not. It's about an hour. I've done that walk many times. It's about an hour and fifteen minutes walk to the beach from the centre. But there is a tram uh, and buses, so it takes like ten or fifteen minutes. What I love about the beach there is it's huge. It's so yes. wide. Even like you know you could go there high season and there's loads of space. You're not packed in like sardines like you might be on other smaller beaches it always seems to be lots and lots of space and the further you go up the beach uh the the quieter it is and great for facilities as well you've got some good restaurants along along the back of the beach in valencia as well and also which i like is the neighborhood called cabanal which is just behind the beach of valencia which is a really kind of uh old i suppose it was an old fishing neighborhood way back and you've got a lot of kind of abandoned uh houses there but i noticed a lot of them are being kind of well i suppose gentrification is cheap uh, creeping in but you've got some really curious little places starting up in that neighborhood little pop-up art galleries and uh um little restaurants and bars um 
it's got a really nice vibe to it yeah yeah I agree I definitely agree and like even though Valencia is not necessarily quote off the beaten path I think it's on it's not on a lot of people's radar um it's not a like it's I would say it, it attracts more people from Europe than it does from outside of Europe in terms of that so I mean I think Valencia is a real gem I, I mean, outside of the beaches and everything, too, the architecture, the street art, just the local culture, Valenciano culture is unlike anything. And it's a special place. Yeah, absolutely. The other place I went a few years ago and I was very impressed by the beaches, not necessarily right uh, in the city, but not far from the city in the kind of surrounding outskirts and um, out, outer neighborhoods of the city, um, Vigo. Um, yes. It's got some beautiful beaches. It's got several beaches, uh -huh. some of them very small, some of them much bigger. Um, just in a very, again, spectacular kind of green, verdant, hilly backdrop. You get these spectacular views from the top of the city out across uh, out across the city and uh, uh, into, I think it's the Ria, one of the Rias, the Ria de Vigo. Yes. Um, which is just so beautiful. And all of that area and all the little towns and outer neighbourhoods all seem to have their own little, uh, well, not private, but it could also almost be like a private beach. Yeah, no, totally. I agree. And like very few people venture out to Vigo. I mean, it's in the far northwestern corner of Spain. Um, it's just above Portugal, if you're looking at the map. The other really special thing about Vigo is you can take a, a ferry to the CS Islands. Yes. Now, the CS um really spectacular. In terms of beaches, I think it's called Playa de Rodas. Yes. And I think it's, you know, it's been voted one of the most beautiful natural beaches, wild beaches in Spain, right? Just beautiful, fine golden sand, a huge kind of sweeping bay. The islands almost look Caribbean. I mean, not like yeah. built up Caribbean, but the water is so blue and they're so lush. Again, half the year it's going to be way too cold to go swimming. Well, more than half the year, but it's such a special little place. And you can take a ferry just from Vigo. I mean, if we want to talk about beaches, we can talk about all the little towns in Asturias and Galicia and Cantabria and Basque Country. Some of them are so tiny, but they're not popular. You're not going to run into hordes of people. Changing the subject from beaches, let's talk flamenco now Ooh, olé. <laughs> olé. yeah exactly now i think it's one of those things that's kind of considered very spanish some people say it's a bit of a cliche some people think maybe wrongly that flamenco is something you find all over spain and any <laughs> any part of spain you go to you can just find flamenco you're gonna be, see women walking along the street in those in those uh those polka dot colorful uh dresses the traje de flamenco and that is just not the case you want to go and see an authentic good uh tablao de flamenco which is like the flamenco sh live flamenco show where where do you go not barcelona um in fact i think one of the biggest mistakes that that people make coming to spain is especially if they have limited time and are only going to, you know, Barcelona, they want to see a flamenco show. I always say, wait until you're in Andalusia. So flamenco, there's a debate. Where did it originate? Um, some say in the caves of Granada in Sacromonte. Some say in Triana in Sevilla, which is um, a barrio right across the river from the center. And some say San Fernando in Cadiz province. 
I would say if you want to see flamenco, really absolutely come to the south of Spain for one, like number one, like Madrid has some interesting flamenco because again, you have people from all over Spain. Yeah, you can probably find a good flamingo show in Barcelona, but why? What's the point? You know, wait until you're in the south or, or do it right, as I like to say. Sevilla, Granada, Cadiz, Cadiz province in general. Jerez de la Frontera has a wonderful flamenco scene and you can go into Sherry and watch an equestrian show. If you're going to go see it in Sevilla, I recommend going to see it in Triana, which is, as I mentioned, across the river where many people say flamenco was born. If you're going to go see it in Granada, definitely treat yourself and go see it in the caves in Barrio Sacramonte. That is unlike anything in the world. That sounds it is amazing. such a special experience. Like flamenco is so passionate. You just feel it with with all of your body and all your soul. Mm-hmm. And, and part of the special of it is really seeing it in a small space. So I, I Absolutely. Really, really it really lends itself to an intimate space where it's very powerful. I mean, for me, it's something that makes you have a huge smile on your face, where at the same time, you've got like a tear rolling down your cheek. Yes. And all of your hairs are stood on end on your arms and on your back. It just, it's so... Yes. I don't know. If, you, if it's your thing and you like it, and like mm. I do, and you see it in an intimate space... It's so powerful. It's incredible. An amazing experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. So basically, definitely see it in Andalusia. Um, That is where Flamenco was born. You know, there's the debate where Flamenco was really born, but it's all Andalusia. It's a very Andalus thing, a very Southern Spanish thing. Um, I, I really like seeing it in the, in the caves in Sacramonte and in Granada. I really love seeing it in Sevilla. I really love seeing it in San Fernando. I really love seeing it in Jerez de la Frontera. And the cool thing about it is every experience is going to be different, but it's going to send chills down your spine and yeah, tears down your eyes and a huge smile on your face. It's such a special experience. So Maybe it's a little cliche, unfortunately, because of, you know, what textbook Spain tends to be, which is flamenco and bulls and all of that. But mm-hmm. let me tell you, there you can see such good, authentic flamenco here in the south of Spain. I highly recommend if you're coming to Andalusia trying to catch a flamenco show. Next one on my list is, again, I've been asked this a lot, and I'm sure you have. People who want to come to Spain, maybe for a longer period of time, you know, uh, maybe for a month or two, to learn or maybe more improve their Spanish. <laughs> I'm just going to quite simply say, go to a small town. Yes. I don't think there's any, I think really more to add to that from my point of view. So like don't go, don't go to a really big city because there's going to be obviously English speakers there. Don't go to somewhere yes. touristy. Pick a beautiful medium-sized town and go there. <laughs> yes. So definitely don't go to Barcelona. Um, you know, Catalan is is more of the language there. I would say, I mean, Salamanca is a great place to learn Spanish because it has such the tradition of, you know, I I don't want to get too much into a political debate here, but um, I would say that many Spaniards are going to tell you that the Spanish language was born around Salamanca in in, in Castilla y León. the smaller town, the better. I mean, Salamanca City would be a good place. They have they have a great they have many great Spanish schools there. But if you really just want to go and talk to people, yeah, pick a small town. Don't be shy. Um, just immerse yourself totally in it. So maybe like take Madrid, Barcelona, definitely Valencia, 
off the table, Malaga center off the table, because really to immerse yourself in Spanish, you're going to want to go where there's not many English speakers, because I'm sure you find this too living here, Paul, like you'll go into a place in Madrid or in a city and start speaking Spanish to them and they'll reply in English just because it's not even a question of their being rude. They're not. They think they're being very helpful. But it's like you if you really want to practice your Spanish and immerse yourself, definitely pick a smaller town. I think it's a good idea, especially if you're a beginner, to take a course, maybe an intensive course, but then really go out and throw yourself in there and just immerse and speak Spanish. Find a course, an intensive course that may, may last uh, a month in a smaller town. And, you know, you spend your day in a classroom and then you go out in the afternoons and the evenings. And that's when you go free to practice and you go and wander into the bars and the cafes speaking Spanish and maybe strike up a conversation or uh, get an intercambio, make some friends. I mean, yes. How cool make is friends. that? And how exciting is that? Yes. And don't be shy. Right, this is quite a meaty one, and I know this is something that's very close to your heart as well, uh, Karen, is um, the Moorish history and the Moorish architecture. Maybe we can tie this all together with this kind of cultural melting pot idea. Where do we begin with that? Let's start with the architecture, because I think for me, I think for anyone coming to Spain uh, who's maybe visited other European countries, it's quite striking, that Moorish architecture, because you don't really see that anywhere in many or anywhere else in Europe, really. And it's beautiful and delicious and yummy. I love, I love Moorish architecture. I mean, why don't we start with the obvious one, which would, of course, be the Alhambra. And the reason that I mentioned the Alhambra in Granada is because the Alhambra is constantly on the list of best Moorish architecture, best Islamic architecture in the world. So that includes places like the Taj Mahal, the mosque in Abu Dhabi, and then you have the Alhambra. And the Alhambra is a sight to be seen. It is a day. It, you can multiple days sometimes go back at night. Uh, the Nazarene Palace is absolutely incredible. The tile work is so intricate. The carvings, it, it I mean, it, it'll bring it. I've, I've probably been to the Alhambra about 50 times. And every time it brings tears to my eyes, shivers down my spine and a smile on my face. Um, <laughs> it's a very, it's special. It's also, it's a monument within itself. So obviously you have the Nazarene palace, kind of the, the center of it all, but you have an Alcazaba where you can climb the old walls and, and look down on Granada. You have the, the gardens and the Sultan's summer home as well, the Generalife. And really, I mean, I say devote a whole day to the Alhambra because what? it's, it's, it's a thing like maybe have a night, treat, treat yourself to a nice lunch at the Parador. We're going to talk about that momentarily. Mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I so, agree with you. The, 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 the Alhambra is something you could spend easily a day. I mean, you can even go back and do two days there. It's a huge complex. I mean, it's not just a palace. It's actually a citadel with all of the facilities that go with a little mini town. You know, it's a lot to see up there. Absolutely. So I would say like, if you're interested in Moorish architecture, the crown jewel would be the Alhambra. The other one I would say would be the Mesquita Cathedral in Cordoba. Absolutely. And talk about unique and unusual <laughs> um, and only in Spain is basically you have this beautiful mosque with these mesmerizing arches. Like we're talking like stucco, bright gold and white. And I mean, I, I can't even describe it. And they, they're as far as the eye can see. And then you have this like cathedral that was built right on top of it in the middle. So you have a a Catholic altar basically right there. 
And I mean, talk about nowhere else in the world. You're not going to see that anywhere. A mesquita, a, a mosque cathedral complex. It's actually the working cathedral in Cordoba to this day, but it was literally built right on top of the mosque, as were a lot of cathedrals here in Spain. But mm. the interesting thing about this one is they preserve so much of the mosque, thankfully. And even the architect, when they were kind of finished or in the works of building the cathedral, made a comment, oh, my God, I think we might have destroyed something really special. To talk about that time period and realizing how special that was and, like, having remorse for actually building the big, you know, Catholic church right on top of it, that's pretty spectacular in its own right. So I would say the Mesquita Cathedral in um, in Córdoba is also up there. Um, I think a lot of people, when they think about Moorish architecture, they think about the sites in Sevilla. To be honest, Sevilla really only has two pieces of pure Moorish architecture, which are um, the Torre del Oro on the river and the Geralda, so the bell tower of the cathedral, of the Gothic cathedral. That um, The Alcazar is not Moorish. It's actually Mudéjar, so it was built by the Christians to mimic Moorish architecture. Mm-hmm. Um so if you want to get like outside of the big cities, all over Andalusia, you're going to find little remnants of Moorish architecture. One of my other favorites is the Medina Azahara, mm-hmm. right outside of Cordoba, which is basically Moorish ruins. And it was this old Moorish like stronghold city that is basically like, I mean, you think about ruins, you think about Roman rooms, ruins, these are actually Moorish ruins. It's really special. Uh, you also have something like that, huge Moorish ruins in Alcazaba, I think it's called there, in, in Almeria City. Yes. Behind, oh, yeah. behind Almeria. Yes. It's so imposing and huge. Yes. The Alcazaba in Almeria is like, is on like any other Alcazaba I've seen. And I'm I'm a huge fan of an Alcazaba. In fact, so many little towns and smaller cities have an Alcazaba. And I often get so overjoyed to discover that where I'm visiting has a little Alcazaba, like Jerez de la Frontera. Antiquera has a wonderful Alcazaba as well. But yeah, the one in Almeria is just, oh, it's so well preserved. And it is just, it's incredibly imposing. And I love it. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about Jewish history uh, as well, because, again, this is something that we've talked about before. But there are a couple of places, actually, where there are some uh, around Spain, where there's some really good examples still of uh, synagogues. Yeah, let's talk about Jewish history. You know, the Morrison Jewish history is my favorite things, some of my favorite things about this country. Let's start with the with the obvious ones, which are, of course, Toledo, beautiful synagogues in Toledo um, that you can that you can go visit. Big hint, if you want to go see the synagogues of Toledo, do not go on a Monday. They're closed. Um, obviously, you have Cordoba as well. Cordoba has a wonderful Jewish history and a great Huroria, old Jewish neighborhood. The synagogue there is very well preserved. You see Hebrew carved into the wall. It's very moving. One of my favorites is in Ubeda. They basically unearthed this beautiful synagogue, including the mikvah, the old Jewish baths. Um, when they were doing, when basically a developer bought some apartments to make them into touristic apartments, and they started doing the renovations and basically dug out this synagogue. And there were artifacts. There's actually a Torah found in there. And I'm Jewish and I have Sephardic roots. And I was like, I was in tears. I was so moved by this. Um, fascinating. You you absolutely, if you go, you have to arrange a tour. It's You have to basically WhatsApp or call them. You can't book it online, but Ubeda is a good one. 
The other thing that I just absolutely love about about the history of Judaism in Spain is you find it in the most obscure of places. All these little villages and all these little towns have a huderia or or an old Jewish neighborhood, but there might not be anything left there. This past weekend, I was back in Extremadura, and I finally, after wanting to visit for so many years, got to go to the town of Ervas, which has preserved its Jewish history so extraordinarily. You see Star of David's on um, on a lot of the buildings. There's a Jewish bakery where you can buy Jewish cookies. And it, it, they just did a really beautiful job of preserving their old Jewish neighborhood. And I mean, we're talking in the middle of Extremadura. Like all these little cities, Trujillo has a little Jewish neighborhood, Caceres. I mean, Spain used to be very, very Jewish. And unfortunately, not a lot is left from from this era. And there's not a lot of in-your-face sites. So if you're really interested in some of the more obscure places, maybe, you know, getting a tour guide who can kind of show you some of the places. I find that really important, too, in Sevilla, because Sevilla has a, has a very rich Jewish history. However, it's not very well signposted. So you wouldn't know by looking at a certain church that that's where the synagogue was. But yeah, I mean, you're going to find, God, there's, I mean, I'm to this day, I'm always shocked about all the little remnants of Jewish history that I find in the most random places here in Spain. And it's one thing that I just love about traveling in the country so much that I, I can like every time I go to a new city or a new pueblo or a new smaller city, I always make it a point to research where did the Jews live, where's the Huderia, what is left of it, and you find these like little fascinating clues. I mean, it might just be like a little bit of Hebrew writing in the street, or you know, just a, a tiny little like menorah or something like that. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. It's 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 fascinating. I, I I'm fascinated by Spain's Sephardic history, and I love to see now that they're really try that they're promoting it and bringing it back. I was so happy to see this year at Fitor that there was an entire display just based on the um on the Jewish routes in Spain and there were the obvious ones and the less obvious ones and it was just really nice to see. Um, I wanted to talk about Roman ruins. I don't think we can kind of claim the same to the same extent of Italy. <laughs> no, we're not Rome. <laughs> you know, but there are. I mean, for me, one that stands out, I suppose, would be the amphitheater in uh, Merida. I was going to mention Merida right off the bat too. Um, you have the amphitheater. You have the um, the Temple of Diana. You have so many random other beautiful Roman ruins. You can buy a combined pass to kind of go see them all. There's also a Roman art museum there. So absolutely, I would say Merida would probably be Spain's best example of um, of, of Roman ruins. <laughs> the other one, if if you're in that part of Spain and you're into Roman ruins, uh, if you're down in uh, in Murcia, in fact, right? In Cartagena, there's Cartagena. a very there's a very intact uh, example of a Roman amphitheater there as well, um, which I really liked. It's some really mm-hmm. nice views across the across the city of Cartagena uh, yeah. from, from the amphitheater there. Yeah. Yes, Cartagena is great. And also, if you're in Barcelona and want to go on a day trip and see some Roman ruins, go to Tarragona. Tarragona as well. Yeah, that's a it's an easy trip from Barcelona. Just. Uh, heading south down the coast right to what an hour yeah. or so it's like an less than an hour on the high-speed train or if you want to get dropped off closer to the center you can take a bus or a local train
Now, rural tranquility. Maybe you want to mix your rural tranquility with a bit of luxurious accommodation. You want a bit Ooh, of R&R. Yes. A bit of R&R. I want to get away from it all in Spain. You don't want busy cities. You don't want bustling beaches. But you just want peace and quiet, countryside, and somewhere really relaxing and nice to stay. I think I know what you're going to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I Yeah. <laughs> what would your recommendation be for that kind of break? So there's there's options for this, but I would say based on what you're describing, like really getting away from it all and exploring rural Spain and also seeing beautiful little villages, lovely nature, and then staying at luxurious historical sites. Let's go back to Extremadura for a moment. Now, can we? Um, Absolutely. I'm always uh, happy to put Extremadura on the map a bit, right? Because it's kind too. of a bit of a cliche, I suppose, to say it, but... It is kind of like the one of the forgotten or if not the forgotten region of Spain, right next to Portugal. It's never seems to figure very high up on people's visit list, which is like, a big mistake. A big mistake. And I almost don't want to like tell the world about it because, God, it's <laughs> such a little treasure. Um, yeah, I love Extremadura. The north is is the north and south of Extremadura are both are very different. The south kind of has more of an Andalus feel. Whereas the north is where you're going to find like the really beautiful nature. Um, but uh, the reason, well, so many reasons I love Extremadura. It is the definition of Spain less traveled, which is the name of my company. And I love it when I can send a client to Extremadura because I know that they're going to be so happy and that it's going to be, they're going to just be so surprised. I mean, Extremadura has a really cool culinary scene. It's not world renowned like Basque country, and it's not as sophisticated, I would say, as Murcia or Basque country. You have a wonderful wine industry, and then you have, you know, the thing, the sites, the pueblos. You have national parks where you can go birding. You have national parks where you can go hiking. You have beautiful valleys. You just have like this like kind of gorgeous, gorgeous region that nobody goes to which is a shame, but which is also kind of nice because it's empty. One of the most wonderful things, in my opinion, about Extremadura is Extremadura has so many peradores. Can I change the subject to talk about that for a moment? Absolutely. That's <laughs> nice. I like I like that little segue there. Um, yeah, I, I'm just going to jump in quickly and say, I think, yeah, Extremadura must be one of, the, I think it's probably the most rural region of Spain still. And you immediately get this, that sense when you travel through Extremadura, whether it's in the north or the south. Even, you know, it's two big cities, Badajoz and um, Cáceres. You know, they're not huge by Spanish city standards, I suppose. It's kind of frontier land, isn't it? You kind of get the sense that you've got Portugal next door. You almost wouldn't know. You could almost just walk, keep going into Portugal and you wouldn't even know where the border was. It's just this rolling landscape. Yeah, and when driving there, like if you're listening to the radio, you can definitely get Portuguese stations. I was doing that this this um, past weekend when I was on a little road trip there to try to remember how much Portugal, how much Portuguese I can understand. So um, very, very, very special. And yeah, it's it it really is the definition of Spain less traveled. Like I love, love, love Extremadura. Cáceres is one of the most beautiful cities in the country. Mm -hmm. It has such a gorgeous medieval quarter. Um, Merida, which we just talked about with the ruins, that's in Extremadura as well. Ervas, which I mentioned with the Jewish history, that's in Extremadura. Mm -hmm. It's 
it's such a special part of the country. I absolutely love it. You need a car. Like, there's no doubt about that. But if you could take the time and explore Extremadura, if you like small towns, if you like rural Spain, if you like Spain really, really, really off the beaten path, kind of like old wild west of Spain, you're going to love Extremadura. Absolutely. Wild west. I like it. And we mentioned Trujillo, the small town of Trujillo earlier as well, which I stumbled upon by accident a couple of years ago. It's absolutely beautiful uh, yes. town. And you've got all these you know, similar small towns like that, haven't you? Guadalupe. Guadalupe. I think a lot of the uh, the people, the guys who went out to conquer South America, a lot of them came from these small villages in Extremadura. It's so true. And I mean, so many places in Extremadura, you see the palm trees randomly planted in front of the property, signifying that the, that the ancestors had gone to the Americas. So, yeah, it's definitely a gem. And like you just talked about Trujillo and Guadalupe and like, hey, there's Paradors in both of those. Caceres has a Parador. So. Yeah. Okay, because yeah. so you were just in um, Extremadura and you, you you stayed in a in a parador, right? I did, uh, I did. What is a parador for someone so, who might not know? A parador is um, a network of state-owned hotels here in Spain, and um, they're luxurious by Sp- by Spanish standards, so maybe not necessarily international standards, but the majority of them, not all of them, are in buildings with historical significance. So like a parador is where you would go if you want to sleep in a castle, sleep in an old fortress, sleep in an old monastery, sleep in an old convent. The sky is the limit with the parador. So this past weekend, I got to stay in the one in Zafra. I've actually stayed in Trujillo, Caceres, and um, no, I haven't stayed in Guadalupe, but I've been to the parador there. You can also, some of them do have public areas where you can go and, and have a coffee, but a lot of the areas are reserved for guests only. So this past weekend, I finally got to stay in the one in Zafra, which has been on my radar for a really long time because it's in an old Moorish castle. And like, I don't know about you, but like for me, hell yeah, I want to sleep in a castle. And I would say for <laughs> most travelers coming here, like to go back to their country and say, what did, you know, what did you do in Spain? Well, yeah, I saw some great art. I drank some great wine. I, I had great olive oil, great food, saw some beautiful towns, beautiful cities. Oh, and by the way, I slept in a castle. I mean, yeah. how cool is that? Yeah. So the Paradors will give you that experience. Um, I mean, not all of them. Some of them are in more modern buildings like Toledo, for example. The, t- the Parador there isn't really of historical significance, but you have a great view of Toledo. In yeah. Lorca, in Murcia province, um, the Parador itself is in a modern building, but it was built right into the castle complex. And when they were building the Parador, they unearthed yet another synagogue. So you basically get to vis- visit the synagogue of Lorca when you're at the Parador. Um, I, I mean, I... I I might sound a little piha when I say this, but <laughs> I absolutely love staying in Paradors. And like, I would love to make it my personal goal to stay in every Parador in Spain. I don't have the time nor the money for that, but. I, I like that. I like that idea <laughs> that as, a, as a kind of goal. <laughs> right. I, I will say challenge. this though. Whenever I'm in a city with a Parador, I always go visit to check it out. Um, I, I got to visit Carmona, for example, which is outside of Sevilla. And the Parador there is spectacular. The Moorish patio there, like, oh, it makes my Moorish loving heart so happy. Um, 
the Parador in, in Siguenza, for example, also in an old fortress. That's one of my favorites as well. And that's an easy one to get to from Madrid. You can take the commuter, you can take the, well, it's not, it's like the medium distance train from Madrid directly from Atocha and go to Siguenza and then walk up to the Parador. The Parador in Jaén is one of my absolute favorites. Um, you're staying in Santa, Catal Santa Catalina Castle. And every single room there has a private balcony overlooking rolling hills of olive groves. It's amazing. I think if I had to pick the favorite Parador that I've ever stayed in personally, oh, that's hard. <laughs> which but one I'm would going to go with Hayen. I mean, it was... Wait, which one, sorry? Hayen. Hayen, yeah. I'm going to yeah. go with Hayen. It was... The Parador in Hayen was such a wonderful, unique experience. I mean, literally, I was staying in a castle and I had my own. I, I remember like I had to work while I was there and I dragged my computer out to the balcony and was just like, I'm working, you know, overlooking like these like beautiful, like mountains filled with olive tree after olive tree. And the sunset was beautiful. Oh, my God. Highly recommended. Come to Spain, sleep in a castle. What can I say? Can we sell the country anymore? <laughs> yeah, I, I've never stayed in one. I'm hoping to this year. That's been yeah. on my, my to-do list for Spain for a long time, and uh, I haven't. So Do it. Um, do it. Um, they always just look so, well, most of them, like you said, some are smaller and more modern than others, but most of them look so grand. They all seem to have these great big impressive entrances yes. and you know, huge hallways and these yes. patio gardens and the rooms always seem to have these big vaulted ceilings and four post of beds, you know. <laughs> That's what I always think of when I think of a parador. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, kind of luxury, you know, very grand, you know. Very grand. Maybe not the most modern of furnishings, but so uh, grand. Like walking into a parador and checking in, you feel like a million euros. What can I say? Uh, and you're going to be able to eat well as well in a Parador. They will, yes. they will obviously have breakfast and there'll be a restaurant. Because I think some people, you can go to a Parador just to eat, right? Just to, yeah. just to use oh, the yeah. restaurant of the Parador. But you'll definitely get some really good quality, uh, hearty Spanish cuisine in a Parador as well, I think. Definitely, definitely. And even the cafeterias, like just to take a coffee or a breakfast, mm. a lot of times like they're in like, you know, a room in the castle. I mean... Hey, what did you do this morning? Oh, I had my coffee in a castle. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you're not staying in them, if a city has one, go visit the Parador. It's worth it. Quite a nice romantic thing to do as well, maybe as well, because I was going to come on to that. I was <laughs> going to say, you know, Parador's would be a good, good option for a romantic getaway, maybe. You know, if you had a honeymoon couple coming to you and saying, hey, Karen, where would you recommend as a, you know, a romantic place to stay or a romantic village or town or so I've arranged itineraries for a lot of couples coming on their honeymoons. And um, I mean, again, it's going to sound very piha, but for that trip, I would say the more luxurious, the better. Like, you know, Paradors are a great option, especially if we're putting them in a castle. In terms of like cities that just like scream romance, I mean, I would say Sevilla is a very romantic city. Granada, especially if you um, stay in a hotel or get like a luxurious Airbnb that has a private terrace that overlooks the Alhambra. I mean, that's incredibly romantic. I would say that some of the coastal towns, especially, you know, some of the more beautiful and dramatic ones like Altea could be very romantic if you want to come, if you want to see a whitewashed village and be on the beach um, and yeah. have it just be a little bit more empty <laughs> than, like, um, you know, some areas, <laughs> other areas yeah. down that same coast. <laughs> I liked Cadiz. I was there recently. Oh, yes. 
Costa Brava is actually a great Costa, place for a honeymoon. And you can fly in and out of Barcelona. Yeah, it's actually where uh, Karina and I went for our, our honeymoon. That's right. And um, first of all, there are some absolutely spectacular beaches and secluded coves, you know, surrounded by pine trees. We stayed for a few days in Tossa de Mar, which is this beautiful kind of fortress town right next to the sea, really pretty. Um, and we went up to Cadaqués as well. Oh, and I remember specifically walking out of Cadaqués along past the harbour and the beach, away from the centre, but sort of following the coastline and looking back at the town. And it's kind of white as the sun was setting. You've got all the little boats bobbing in the along next to the beach in the harbour. You've just got the church clock tower poking up between the, the whitewashed buildings and all of these whitewashed buildings have got these beautiful blue shutters and window frames just at sunlight with a little bell chiming wow. in the distance and the light shimming on the water I was like wow this is super super beautiful super romantic that for me yeah yeah I mean Costa Brava is if especially if you have a car and can get away from some of the you know the more populated villages or, or places that people from Barcelona or visiting Barcelona go on day trips. Yeah, absolutely. Costa Brava is incredibly romantic. It's so beautiful. Um, I mean, you can you can have romance anywhere. And it's really, it, again, it boils down to the question, well, what are you interested in? Very I mean, true. Galicia, Asturias, Cantabria, Basque country, incredibly yeah. romantic. Actually, the Parador, going back to Paradors, in uh, Onda Arabia, in um, at, at the edge of Basque country, basically just across the river from France. One, like if you're into food and culinary things and want to like eat your way through your honeymoon or your romantic vacation. That sounds good. There you go. I'm just thinking, yeah, you said Granada earlier. And, you know, there's a viewpoint, and I can't remember the name of it, where you can look across to the Alhambra just as the sun's kind of setting and it's kind of glowing yes. pink. That's a lovely spot if you could just get rid of everyone else that's there looking yes. at that same view because it gets quite busy i can't remember the name of the viewpoint it's san nicolas san nicolas yes the mirador yes. de san nicolas gets lots of people but if you could just <laughs> get rid of those that would be a very romantic spot to, to to see the sunset right i don't know if i should totally disclose the secret but i'm going to because i love your podcast and your listeners are great <laughs> so right next door to San Nicolas is uh-huh. the, the mosque of yeah. Granada. Mm-hmm. And basically ha- they have the same stunning views with half the people, may- like n- maybe a quarter of the people. And the grounds of the mosque are amazing. They're so beautiful. Now, I w- I'm going to say this. It is a real working mosque. So you have to be respectful. And I've seen some people who have ignored the fact that this is a special space, a sacred space, a holy space, a real working mosque. It's not to get your best Instagram shot and to like stand on, you know, stand on the ledge. They don't want you standing there and you could fall over. So, you know, you definitely have to be respectful if you're going there, but the mosque is beautiful. The people who, um, who are in charge of the mosque are absolutely lovely. They know they have a wonderful view. Just please, if you go be respectful. Great tip. You heard it here first. (laughs) I didn't know about that. talked about this at the top of the show itineraries because we we get a lot of people saying i've got one week i've got two weeks 
I want to see as much as possible or what can I see? And I know that in your group, you're, you're very good at trying to encourage people away from trying to tick as many places off as possible and spend time in a few fewer places, but more quality time and scratching beneath the surface and also not getting exhausted constantly yes. on the go as well. Absolutely. First of all, less is more. Um, part of Spain is enjoying the chill, being able to sit at a beautiful terrassa cafe with a glass of wine or a coffee and just watching the world go by. If you're jam packing your itinerary, you're not going to have time for that. And it's those little moments that make your trip to Spain so special. The other thing to keep in mind when you're trying to pack it all in, even though the distances don't look that great and um, the train might only take, you know, two and a half, three hours, Keep in mind that every time you're moving locations, you're unpacking, getting to the train station, having to wait, show you, showing your ticket, finding the track, getting on the train or the plane or however you're getting there, spending your time doing that. If it's a flight, maybe there's a delay. Then, you know, getting from the um, train station to airport to your new hotel, uh, or unpacking again. I mean, it's just so exhausting. So even if a place is only a few hours away by all of this, it's going to eat up at least a half of a day out of your itinerary. If you have limited time, you don't have time to be moving around from place to place trying to see it all. You're not going to see it all in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, even a lifetime. I mean, Spaniards don't see their country to the fullest. People like Paul and I who live here, there's so much more like on our Spain bucket list. And I work in travel and I'm saying this. So yeah. please, please, please. Save yourself from all this frustration. Do not try to see it all in one trip. I always tell people a minimum of three to four nights per city is really nice. There are some times where you're going to have to do less, especially if you're if it's just a stopover or if it's a really small town that you're just trying to like see along the way. Um, but for generally speaking, three to four nights at least. You can do more in a lot of places. I mean, you could spend four weeks in Madrid and not, and barely even scratch the surface. Um, so in terms of smart itinerary planning, it's all about not trying to cram it all in. Less is more for sure. And really doing something logistically possible. If you have two weeks, you're not going to want to go to San Sebastian in the north, Madrid and Barcelona, which are on you know, different parts of the country and then down to Andalusia, and then trying to fit in, I don't know, some of the islands. I've, I've, I've had clients approach me with ideas like this, and it's just not possible and not logistically possible. You want to string together places that make sense. So like, for example, if you have two weeks and it's your first trip to Spain, maybe plan to fly in and out of Madrid, spend a few days in Madrid at the beginning, Definitely do not skip over Madrid. So many people make that mistake. Madrid is worthy. I think we've already sold Madrid, so I'm going to stop. But <laughs> Madrid's a wonderful city, and so many people just use it as a landing point, which is such a shame. So spend a few days in Madrid and then maybe head down to Andalusia and spend, I don't know, if you have two weeks, for example, like four or even five days in Seville, you could do some wonderful day trips to some of the Pueblos Blancos from Sevilla. Spend like at least at least at minimum two nights in Cordoba. Don't try to do it as a day trip from Seville. Don't try to do it as a stopover. It's Cordoba is so much more worthy of that. I mean, you're barely scratching the surface. I see so many people wanting to do it as a day trip or a stopover. I say no, like I say, I don't think it's a great idea. Cordoba's fantastic. Give it time, explore it. And like 
you know, don't shortchange it just because your time is limited. You know, you can always come back. Um, spend a few days in Granada. Granada is a wonderful city, and so many people think all there is there is the Alhambra. That's absolutely not the case. Wander around the Albacine, give yourself to, which is the old Moorish quarter. Give yourself give yourself time to get lost. Like, you know, let Granada enchant you. And by letting Granada enchant you, you're not going to be able to do that in a day or two of just running around trying to tick off sites. Um, and then maybe, you know, with with two weeks, I don't know, I think we're already at two weeks with all that. Take the train back to Madrid, maybe spend a night or two in Madrid at the end and fly out. But really, don't try to cram it all in. I would say minimum three to four nights per city, some places definitely more. And um, it's just about doing it smart and, and, and what's logistically possible. Also, when you're visiting these places, another reason to give yourself time in, these, in all these so obviously Seville, Granada, Cordoba are magnificent places. They're very much on the beaten path though. By giving yourself time in these places, you can take day trips to other villages off the beaten path. Or if you're either if you're um you know willing to cut down on like the grand sites that you're going to, you can go, you know, it's like from Seville for example, you can rent a car and drive to the Sierra de Grasalema and spend a few nights in like a casa rural or like a beautiful like rural hotel that has stargazing and horseback riding and hiking like get off the beaten path too don't just go to the big names and i think that you know when building a spain itinerary if you really want to see the country try to try to go to places that aren't necessarily the big ticket items obviously these places are popular for a reason they're spectacular we all love madrid we all love barcelona we all love cordoba we all love granada we all love sevilla but there's so many little places in between that you can visit as well. And by giving yourself enough time to do that and not trying to cram in all the big sites, you're really going to have that lovely balance of seeing the big monuments, but also really getting to experience more local, authentic Spain, less traveled. Another example is flying in and out of Madrid and then going up to the north, maybe renting a car and driving across from like Basque country to Galicia. I mean, that's more than two weeks right there. So maybe ending in Asturias. It mm-hmm. it really just depends. But you want to give places time. You want to give um, places space to really explore and to see and, and to enjoy and to just appreciate the chill. I mean, running. That's and what especially Spain is about, right? <laughs> exactly. And especially if you're coming in the summer, which is, of course, for many reasons, one of the most popular tourist seasons. In the South, if you're coming in the summer, you basically want to discount doing anything from like noon until 7 p.m. because it's going to be so hot. So you're not going to be able to pack it all in. Um, I'm constantly what I say when I when I get um, an itinerary idea from a client and we have our initial call to kind of start building and designing. I constantly take out my virtual red pen and I'm like, nope, don't have time for that. Take this out. Save this for another trip. This is on the opposite end of the country. Like you you need to figure out what's what logistically makes sense, what makes sense with the way that transportation here is connected and really just giving the places that you're visiting enough time to truly indulge yourself in them. So like, is there a one size fits all itinerary for Spain? Absolutely not. And thankfully not, because like, that's why I'm able to have my job doing what I do. When we get these questions on Travel Spain, I have two weeks, where should I go? We get these questions so often that I've literally just started responding basically the same thing, like edit your posts, let us know what you're interested in. 
I can't tell you where to go. I mean, I know nothing about you at this point. Like you're going to get, you know, a million answers like Barcelona, Toledo, Madrid. But these are just personal preferences. And then trying to string it all together. Like we need to think about something that's logistically possible that really ticks your interests, which is why Paul and I wanted to do this podcast. <laughs> it's difficult to cram all of it into into one podcast because, you know, like we said, we could have talked and each subject we've talked about that could have been a, a podcast episode in itself. So, yeah, hopefully it's been useful. I think the takeaway is, you know, think about, yeah, what you like, what your interests are, because Spain is a very diverse country. And don't think that you can just tick Spain off as a country on one trip. Absolutely. Just on that point, I would say that maybe a lot of people think of Spain like this. They think of the big ticket cities and then they just think coast and beach. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's, again, another big mistake. Obviously, you know, the the, the coast and the, those the beach cities and those kinds of places are really beautiful um, and important. But Spain has a vast interior, vast yes. interior uh, of uh, beautiful landscapes, diverse landscapes, towns, villages, um, which, again, really uh, are kind of off the beaten track that a lot of people don't really think of. You know, even near Madrid, even, you know, um, people might not think of the of the of the Sierra to the north of Madrid and all of the beautiful landscapes and the tiny little towns and villages that are dotted around there. And that's you get out. And that's just an example near Madrid. You know, that's a really deep slice of authentic Spanish life where you're really not going to you know, find many tourists. But that's, you know so much of Spain is like that the interior of Spain um, yeah. is going to give you a really kind of deep Spain experience as well away from the the big cities and and all of the all of the coasts yeah no absolutely like I'm all for taking a few days and going to the coast and going to the beach like I mean I moved to Malaga so I could be closer to the sea I'm never gonna say don't go to the sea but I think trying to like think about Spain as just a beach destination or like an all-inclusive, you know, beach resort is the wrong way to think about it. I think the beauty of Spain is in the history, is in the culture, is in the interior. And you're going to definitely have to get away from most of the coastal places to find that. Mm. I mean, you'll definitely find that in a city like Valencia or in, in Malaga or in some of the cute little coastal villages. But unfortunately, because Spain does attract that kind of sect of mass tourism. Mm. So many of the coastal areas here are just so built up with like high rise hotels and, mm. and, and vacation homes and condominiums that, you know, really try to get away from that and find authentic Spain. Yeah, I would say to people who maybe haven't been to Spain before, think of Spain in the same way that you would think of France or Italy, because we don't think of France as a beach country with a few big cities in it. And we don't really think of Italy as a beach country with a few big cities in it. And nor is Spain, you know, really. It, sh it shouldn't be looked upon that way. I mean, it's the way it's marketed itself through the last 40 years as the kind of beach resort country because of the climate. Absolutely makes sense. The history, the food, the beautiful architecture, the people. I mean, let's talk about, I mean, the Spanish people are some of the most friendly, welcoming people on this entire planet. Mm -hmm. And the people are different in different regions. You'll see different cultures and meet different people. If you really want to get to the heart of Spain, talk to the people and, and get to know the Spaniards because, I mean, they're what makes Spain what it is. <laughs> Thank you.
so that was Karen Rosenblum. I hope you enjoyed that. If you're planning a trip to Spain, I think that's really, really useful advice. To find out more about Karen and the travel consultancy services that she offers, do go and head over to her website, which is spainlesstraveled.com. Spainlesstraveled.com. It's actually the American spelling of traveled with one L, by the way. <laughs> and uh, you'll find out more about Karen and the services she offers on there, but also fantastic resources as well, and also uh, a fantastic blog all about Spain. So go and check that out. Um, also, I really, really highly recommend, if you're planning a trip to Spain, to check out Karen's uh, Facebook community, which is quite simply called Travel Spain! Exclamation mark. Incredibly active community of Spain fans, all sharing fantastic advice and recommendations uh, in the group. The great thing about that community is you can pose a question in the group about anything Spain-related, really, particularly travelling and visiting Spain, and you're almost guaranteed to get uh, some really good feedback, some really good input from other members, and really good advice as well. In fact, I've even used it myself to ask questions about planning trips around Spain, and I've always received really, really useful recommendations, uh, advice, and suggestions. So do go and check that out on Facebook. Meanwhile, over on the When in Spain side of things, uh, social media related, When in Spain also has a presence on all uh, social media channels. So go and give us a follow on Instagram if you love to see photography from around Spain. Uh, the handle is at WhenInSpain1. And on there, I share my own photos from my travels around Spain and indeed Madrid. And also I share photography and stories on Instagram, which relate to the individual When in Spain podcast episodes as well. When in Spain is also on Facebook and Twitter. And just a quick reminder before I go that if you do enjoy this podcast and you'd like to show a little bit of support, you can do that via the crowdfunding website called Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com. Uh, please do consider signing up there to support the work I do in putting this show together. If you can't do that, no pasa nada. Um, please do consider telling any of your friends or family who are Spain lovers about this podcast. And also, if you enjoy the podcast, please do consider rating the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it on. And also, why not leave a little review of the podcast on the platform where you listen, if indeed the podcast platform allows you to do that? I would be very, very grateful. So with that, I'll sign off for this episode of When in Spain. I really look forward to talking to you all again very, very soon in the next episode of the When in Spain podcast. Until then, have a great week y hasta luego. Hasta luego.